0: Welcome to Data & Construction. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Maya Natarajan, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Neo4j. Maya, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Hugh. Very happy to be here with you to discuss all things knowledge graphs and how they intersect with uh, construction.
0: Love it. So let's start with Neo4j. It's it's one of the big dogs in the, the graph data space. Talk a little bit about what you guys do.
1: Okay, so um, Neo4j is the leading graph technology company in the world. What we do is we help to capture the rich context that exists in and between data to solve challenges of any size and scale. So some of the use cases include detecting uh, fraud and cybercrime in the financial world, optimizing global networks and supply chain, accelerating breakthrough research in pharmaceuticals, and providing better recommendations for many, many retail organizations. These are just to name a few, but obviously there are many more industries where graph technology plays a very important role and uh, construction is one of them. And I know we'll talk a lot more in detail about this as we go along in this discussion.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how it's starting to come up and I'm really excited to dive in deeper, but let's start with some definitions. So what is a knowledge graph?
1: You know, this is a great First question, I have to say. Before I actually answer that, let me start off with a little bit of history on knowledge graphs. Mm -hmm. They've actually been around for exactly half a century, 50 years. Can you believe that? I mean, they are old. The term knowledge graph was coined in 1972. And believe it or not, that, you know, it was, it, it was there way back then, right? It was only after Google talked about knowledge graphs backing their search in 2012 that knowledge graphs became really popular. And right now, it looks like there's no turning back for knowledge graphs. Anyway, if you Google the term knowledge graph, you're going to get over 100 definitions. And that's not surprising because each person thinks of a knowledge graph in a different way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a Neo4j definition. And that is a Neo4j knowledge graph is an interconnected data set that's been enriched with meaning. And we use the word semantics so that we can reason about the underlying data and use it confidently for complex decision making. Okay, I know what you're going to say Hugh. That's a mouthful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack this definition. Little by little, and then look at the elements that make up a Neo4j knowledge graph, okay? Perfect. Yeah, there are three elements. We need data, we need a graph database, and then we need semantics, okay? So I'm going to explain each one of those. So the first element, it's data. Now, if you look at data today, you'll realize that it's no longer simple. It's very complex. What do I mean by that? You know, data does not sit in a database by itself. More often than not, there are data in these different databases that are actually related to each other. Data also tends to be hierarchical and recursive. And, you know, of course, there's always data that's sometimes hidden, right? So that's one kind of data. Now, Hugh, you're probably very familiar with big data, right? Yep. Yep. However, big data is not as important as it used to be, you know, and the reason for that is the pandemic. Due to the pandemic, historical data, which is what big data usually is, is no longer of value. Take shopping, for instance. None of the data that retailers had collected prior to the pandemic makes sense anymore. Everyone's moved on to online shopping, and that trend is still continuing. So what's happened is there's a move from big data to what we call small and wide data. And it it looks like small and wide data provide a lot more context, especially as it relates to machine learning, okay? So regardless, I just wanted to say that data is now complex and complex forms of data cannot be analyzed with traditional technologies. And that is why graph technology is critical here.
0: And if I can interject a little bit this difference between big data and small and wide data is particularly interesting for construction
1: mm-hmm.
0: because one of the problems construction often has is some of the factors are not the same every time it's not like manufacturing where yes you're swinging a hammer the same way in you know wherever you are in construction but everything surrounding that hammer is different and I'm using hammer as an easy example mm-hmm. so the idea that you you were never there never was big data per se in construction because it was really hard to aggregate things like you can in social media or online. So the idea of thinking about context, rich smaller data is already a really good idea. And the fact that the pandemic is making it, getting it more attention is great but that's already something that goes on in construction. So I'm really excited to hear where you're going next.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. See, usually we think about it exactly as you said, manufacturing or pharmaceutical industry, right? Where big data plays such a big role. But it's interesting to note that construction has never looked at big data as being that important. And it's it's the smaller data that has a lot more context that's important. So that's, that's awesome. Yes. So now if you take small and wide data, you get a lot more context. And so You know, using something like a knowledge graph in the construction industry makes even more sense um, now, right? I mean, that Mm -hmm. that really plays well into that. Okay, so that's data, and that's the first element. The second element is the graph database. Now, when data gets ingested into a property graph store like Neo4j, relationships are stored alongside data. Relationships provide this first level of context to data. And we call this dynamic context, because when you take data and throw it into a dynamic structure like a graph, you know, you'll get a structure that's connected contextually to all of its neighbors. And then the neighbors are connected to their neighbors. Right. So the graph grows and gets richer and richer as new information is added. So context is being added dynamically now. I just wanted to say that, you know, you can actually build knowledge graphs on databases other than graph databases. For example, you could use a relational database like Mm -hmm. an Oracle, okay? Or you can use NoSQL databases like a MongoDB. But why is it advantageous to use graph technology to build a uh, knowledge graph? Okay, And, and this is so critical here, and that's why I'd like to take some time to explain this. In a graph database, data and relationships are stored together. So that means that related nodes are physically linked in the database. So when you access relationships, it's as immediate as accessing the data itself. So with a knowledge graph, you simply read the relationship from storage. And this is what we call walking the graph or traversing the graph. Okay. And
0: Maya, if I may, let's just contrast really quick with, with what, it doesn't have to be that way. That SQL databases don't do that, right? SQL database, you have to say, "Oh, data point what's it connected to oh let's go look at another table where the relationships might be stored and then you have to go back and say great so now the the amount of bouncing back and forth that it takes to know what's connected to what is is fundamentally different and you're you're not it isn't inherent in it it's actually like an extra thing you have to go do which makes it an absolute mess if you want to see things that are connected to, to like two hops away or three hops away right
1: Oh my goodness, Hugh, you've taken the words out of my mouth. That's exactly right. This is a podcast, so you can't see me nodding my head vigorously. In a conventional relational database, querying about relationships can take a long time to process. That's because of the way data is stored in a relational database. It's exactly as you said. For the audience, they may not be so familiar with relational databases, but data is organized in tables, similar to an Excel spreadsheet. And so where each table has data in a specific format with a fixed number of columns, and each column has its own data type. You know, it could be an integer, it could be time date, and it could be freeform text, and so on and so forth. Now, this is great. You know, a relational database has its uses, and it's great when you're dealing with data from any one table or if you're aggregating data across multiple tables. But it's exactly as you said. When there are relationships between data, what you would need to do is explain explicitly describe those relationships and you implement things called foreign keys and you query by joining tables. You know, just talking about it is extremely tedious. Imagine doing it. It's even more tedious and it's resource intensive. And so sometimes after three hops, as you mentioned, there are hops where you're connecting from one table to another, relational databases could very easily hang. And so, you know, that that wouldn't work, right? So to build a knowledge graph, we always say, you know, you need a graph database because that's where everything is stored together. When you query it, you get results immediately. I hope that makes sense. It does. And then the third element is what we call semantics. I know I introduced a new word and I'll explain to you uh, exactly what that is. But if you take data in a graph and you add semantics to it, you get a knowledge graph. Semantics add the second layer of context to graphs. So knowledge graphs have deep dynamic context. So what is semantics? Semantics basically means meaning and it confers context to things. But again, this is probably a little too abstract. So when I talk about semantics, I liken it to the domain knowledge within an organization. So let's talk about the construction industry. And before before I actually do that, uh, Hugh, let me say that I know you had Jake Olson from Dato. Yep. And I listened to that podcast to help me understand how the construction industry works. So I use some of his examples here to illustrate some points about knowledge graphs. I learned a lot from that podcast, let me tell you. Yeah. Anyway, in the construction industry, we're talking about semantics. What's the domain knowledge? In the construction industry, there are specific terms that pertain to the industry that no other industry will talk about for example we have terms like hvac which is you know mm-hmm. stands for heating ventilation and air conditioning right or you have the term footing which basically is this, the structure that supports the foundation of a building these are all very specific to the construction industry mm-hmm. what a knowledge graph does is it takes this domain knowledge and uses it to bring in more context so in a very simple way we can think of knowledge graphs as networks of facts you know, this is just your data that's coming in that have an overlay of domain knowledge. You know, the knowledge that's specific to that particular industry. So you put that on top. And what that does is it provides oodles of context. More context means better analysis or better predictions. And that's what makes knowledge graphs super powerful.
0: And if you think about what software sometimes is really bad at is it returns searches or or results that make no sense because it's absolutely nothing to do with what you really do all day. So being able to provide connections and context so that whether it's search or whether it's some other operations, what's coming back does the best job a machine could to have a little bit of judgment and a little bit of filtering because it's within or it's coming from that connection of data points you mentioned before. And the way those things are connected is in the specific way that construction does it instead of the way insurance does it or driving a caterpillar.
1: That's absolutely true. And so, you know, you bring up such a good point. I don't know if you remember the good old days of keyword search. This was, I'm talking way back when, you know, and those keyword searches were so literal. They would look for a word, and they'll bring back exactly that word. There was nothing beyond that, right? Those were those traditional keyword searches. And then Google came along, and we got slightly better keywords because they, they did linking and page ranking, right? They brought more context um, to just plain keyword search. And then what Google did was they backed that with a knowledge graph to give it even more context. So now you talk about something that has to do with Fencing, for example, fencing is a sport, right? Mm-hmm. It's also uh, uh, you know uh, <laughs> it's what
0: you put around your yard and it's and what you, you put you used to keep people out and it's yeah, no, it makes.
1: right. So you have these two different words, and based on the context of what the person is searching, Google returns the response that's the correct response, right? So that's what a knowledge graph can do. It gives you that context behind it, and it's what allows for better analysis and better predictions.
0: And coming back to this idea of well, when we say context, that word gets used a lot. But the practical result is it it is a way to filter out things that aren't relevant to what you're doing. It allows the system to more accurately provide to you things that are likely to matter. And like you said, fencing, there's probably more words than we just came up with, or more more meanings of it. And it's going to say well. Because I know Hugh has a landscape contracting business, he's going to care about fencing that has to do with yards less so than than the Olympic sport.
1: That's, that's exactly right.
0: Got it. So when we think about what knowledge graphs can do. We've sort of talked about this, but let's get a little specific. So you know, search is obviously one of those things. Mm-hmm. What else do you see? And, and when we say search, we just talked about search. Like we think of it. So I enter something and it comes back with some things, right? But there's other things graphs can do that, that like other types of queries, like I believe neighborhood is one and things like that, that, that have to do with almost the shape of the data. Right.
1: Right, right. There we're going into graph analytics. But before we even do that, knowledge graphs lend themselves really well to a number of use cases across the data spectrum, from data management all the way down to data analytics and machine learning. So let me not forget that. So across the spectrum. So search is just one of those use cases. We have a number of use cases. On the data management side of the house, we have Things like data governance and data compliance, and it may be of some importance in the construction industry, we have those kinds of use cases. Under data management, we also have things like customer 360, which gives you a full view of exactly everything you want to know about a customer. And then you can go do analysis on that, right? We have other examples like recommendations. So that's on the data management side of the spectrum. On the data analytics side we have a lot of interesting use cases as well fraud detection we have patient journey analytics or even customer journey analytics and let's see what else
0: some of the things that come up are like root analysis
1: oh yes um, yes yep. uh, uh, root cause analysis that is a big one I, I can understand that being very important in the construction industry as is things like what if analysis you know you're building a building and you want to know, hey, what if I change the load in some way? How, does it, how is it going to affect me, right? Those sorts of analyses or impact analysis, for example. So those are all good ones. And then another one is the shortest distance or pathfinding. You know, what is the shortest distance between route A and route B in case you're transporting construction materials or something like that? So those are all very powerful data analytics use case examples.
0: Love it. And you can see, and you know, especially because so much of construction is supply chain driven, that you can see how relevant that might be. Yes. So Maya, let's let's think about how, or explain to me how a company that they've got a ton of data, they've got people who really know that data, so they can explain and provide that context verbally, or the you know the relationship between A and B, and what does that mean? How does someone get started? What, what is the very first thing you do other than hire smart people?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's always a fallback option, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why don't we start with what the Neo4j platform looks like? What, is it, what does it do?
1: Okay, so to build a knowledge graph, you would need three main products and one tool. We have what we call the Neo4j database or AuraDB, and that's the graph data store. Okay, just to give you an idea of what Neo4j database is versus AuraDB, Neo4j is our self-managed database software, which can be deployed on-prem or in a customer's own cloud, Mm -hmm. whereas AuraDB is our fully managed cloud-native database as a service, and it's multi-cloud. So we need a data store. The second thing we need is the graph analytics engine. And so we have the Neo4j Graph Data Science Library. It consists of over 65 algorithms, including in-graph machine learning. And then we have the third product, which is Neo4j Bloom. And this is something that I think everyone might really appreciate because it is a product that allows for visual investigation and exploration of graph data and in natural language. you don't need to know any cipher querying or any of those things. You can just quickly go in and type in a sentence and you'll be able to search for things um, uh, on Neo4j Bloom. And it
0: is cool. I will say it is cool.
1: So you've used it before? I I have. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent.
0: One of the things, as a quick aside, Neo4j has a, a really good set of learning and, and tutorials. So you can get in there and play around without being able to code at all. And there's actually, you mentioned Cypher. I just want to let everyone know, Cypher is the language that you created that's specific to how you query and ask for things in a graph environment. And again, it's re- pretty easy to learn. There's actually, I think you have certificates, the whole thing. It's pretty great.
1: Right, right. And we do have a great training program. In fact, that's one of the things that I will mention when we when we talk about the resources available for anyone to use. But in addition to these three products, we also have a very powerful data modeling tool, and that's called the Neo4j Knowledge Graph Workbench. <coughs> you know, and this Neo4j Knowledge Graph Workbench is what we use to model the data. And the relationships amongst the data so you'd ask me how do we go about building a knowledge graph there are two main steps here first is we need to get the data in into the graph database right now the construction industry uses and generates huge quantities of data you know we have manufacturing data performance data cost data i don't know maintenance data and much much more from a variety of sources right we have design and construction utilities building services meters building management systems, um, and so on and so forth. So what we do is we call this instance data, the data that comes from using these systems and, and generating that data. So that is the data that we import from various data sources. We also bring in domain knowledge. Those are the explicit descriptions of how the instance data is related. Now, both of these types of data are ingested into the Neo4j graph database using various tools. If the data is structured, it's, you know, when, when I talk about structured data, that's the kind of data we find in relational databases, for instance, Then mm-hmm. the tools we need are ETL tools. We have Neo4j Connector for Apache Spark and Apache Hop for this, but we've seen a lot of our customers like to use their own ETL tools. If it's unstructured data, when I talk about unstructured data, I mean things like text messages, data in documents, like emails and, and stuff like that. We could also have audio and video. So for unstructured data, we have Neo4j wrappers around Google, Amazon, and Microsoft natural language APIs. And these procedures extract entities, key phrases, categories, and sentiment from text, and then store them as node properties. So once the data has been ingested, we can then build a data model using the Knowledge Graph workbench. Okay, so basically, what are the nodes and how are they related to each other? I'm not sure this audience knows what nodes and uh, relationships are. So I thought I'd just give you a simple example. You know, the plumber uses pliers. That's a sentence, right? Mm -hmm. We can think of nodes as the nouns that represent the entities. In this case, when I talk about entities, I mean things like people, places, events, and things. So in this example, the plumber uses pliers. Plumber and pliers are the nodes. Now, the nodes are connected together by relationships, and we can think of these as verbs. So, in this case, it would be uses. So, if we had the sentence, the plumber uses pliers, the plumber and pliers would be the nodes on the two ends, and they're connected by a line in the middle for the relationship uses. Does that make sense? It does.
0: It explains, you know, we've been talking about relationships a lot, and it's interesting that it doesn't have to be some deep... Relationship it could just be this is that, or he has that, or he created that, or so on.
1: Exactly, it's just a verb that describes whatever is between, you know, the two nouns. Mm-hmm. That, that's all that is, right? And now, it, of course, it gets a little bit more, a little bit more complicated because nodes and relationships can have properties that further describe them. But that's where all that context comes in, you know, the ways to filter out anything that isn't necessary for a particular search, for example. Okay. So, a graph is just a way of connecting data by nodes, the nouns or concepts, with each other via the relationships, the verbs. And this model allows us to query and analyze this data very easily, okay? So now, let me share with you how we would use a construction knowledge graph or the power of the construction knowledge graph. Let's just say we've pulled in construction documents and drawings, okay? Now. Buried somewhere in those documents and drawings are sheet numbers, part numbers, tech and tags, and, and other stuff, right? These are what we call the entities or the nodes. And usually they're connected to each other in some way but that we are not normally aware of because when you have data, and I'm sure construction is no uh, exception, all of this data resides in separate databases or in mm-hmm. separate silos, right? Yes. So we bring all that data into a knowledge graph as entities and we can create a network to track the sheet numbers, part numbers, tech equipment tags and whatever else across all the drawings and documents.
0: And actually if I can just interject one of the things that also you can do is and analyze the document itself for things in the document that may or may not themselves be entities, right? So you can start to connect at different levels. Yes. So that you can discover things like this, you know, this this is a drawing yes but it's a drawing of that room and other things are connected to that room so when something changes that's connected to that room even if it has nothing to do with that drawing you might get alerted to it and say oh wow i i didn't realize we changed the temperature or, or something
1: absolutely it's because of the way everything is connected and it's it's actually visually you you see everything visually and so it's like oh wow okay that has changed and now i suddenly see a connection to you know to this, let's say this particular sheet drawing to a, a totally different document somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. It pops it up immediately. And that's what's so key about knowledge graphs. And and that's just the beginning. The knowledge graph actually grows bigger and bigger as we add more data. And we're talking about millions and trillions of entities and relationships. And you know, it kind of instantly exposes how things are connected. And I always like to say that's where the fun begins, because it's possible that two things that you never imagined being connected may just suddenly pop up. And that may impact one of the processes in some way that you never imagined. And that's the power of the knowledge graph, where the connections you did not know exist suddenly become obvious. So changing the unobvious to obvious, that's the power of the knowledge graph.
0: You know what's interesting also is graph theory as a bigger kind of pursuit, some of it is about how nodes and how, how networks can behave and everyone's familiar with the six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> that comes from actually, I believe it was in the 50s or 60s, an experiment where someone in St. Louis tried a bunch of different things to get an envelope to a stockbroker in, I believe it was Boston. And the, it, was, you know, it was a tough one to make as a controlled experiment. But the average number of hops was, I believe, eight. And that got simplified to six, which is where six degrees comes from. But the point is, across hundreds of millions of people, it only took maybe eight hops for someone who, who didn't know the person, the, the destination, for it to say, okay, sh- give this to the next closest person you think it might be. And, and only eight hops got you there, which is incredible. And it speaks to the power of, of organizing things in a network, in a graph, is things that seem like they're totally disconnected might only be one or two hops away because you don't know how the underlying connections are until you really get into it
1: that is so true let me just tell you two things one i've i just learned something new from you today which is the whole story of 6 degrees of separation from kevin bacon i did not know that it had this earlier story behind it and the second thing is yes you know it it it's not that far away i mean 2 to 3 hops away is not far away but you cannot just see it if you had data in relational databases right. You need to be able to see that network and then see how things are connected before you can tell whether they're one or two or three or four hops away. Makes sense. Yeah. So interestingly, what we've seen is the use of knowledge graphs to build digital twins in the construction industry. I just want to say in the last few, uh, I want to say six to nine months, we've heard that come up again and again and again. Um, So I just wanted to point that out to you. Um, It
0: makes a lot of sense though, right? Because you're trying to create from all these different locations and and trades and contractors and and maintenance people, how are you creating a a coherent network of information? Um, Very interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm more than happy to just expand a little bit more on digital twins because that's something that we're seeing pop up for us. I I, I don't know if most... um, You know, most of your audience will know what a digital twin is. They do. They they do. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it's just a virtual representation of a physical asset, right? Like a building, for instance. It's interesting because I know in the construction industry, there's something called building information modeling or BIM. And a lot of people seem to uh, think that BIM and digital twin are the same thing. But there is a slight differentiation. BIM typically shows systems and subsystems. Whereas the digital twin, it really serves as a foundation for uh, for the assets and their utilization. You know, I'm just going to give a a quick example. So, you know, if you have a 20 uh, foot by 16 foot room, that's just a room, right? That's what the BIM will model. Now, it becomes a conference room when you add uh, full AV capabilities to it. The digital twin is what uh, provides the framework to manage and optimize that. And and that's why there, there, there's that difference. But to do to build a digital twin, it's best modeled in a knowledge graph. And you can see why, because you can see all the interconnection between the assets and you know how if one system goes down, it's gonna impact something else. And so with modeling it as a knowledge graph, you can do a number of analyses like impact analyses. For example, a trade contractor creates drawings based on a fabrication drawing, but the Structural engineer issues a new plan set. How does that impact the scope of the project, right? That, that's one example. Or what if analyses, especially of safety systems and emergency action plans, right? Or you can even do, uh, you can model asset performance optimization and so on and so forth. So you see a lot of the um, construction industry turning to knowledge graphs to help them build their digital twins. In fact, I, I believe we have a, a, a company in the UK, Horley is the name of the company, and they're using Neo4j knowledge graphs for building their digital twin of a building.
0: Love it. This is really great. Um, Maya, I want to bring us in for a landing and say thank you so much for, for going through all this. And earlier in the podcast, we, we kind of hinted at some resources where people can learn more. Um, where should they go?
1: Okay, so we do have a lot of resources you And firstly, of course, our website, you know, www.neo4j.com. And when you go there, you will see a number of resources. I'm going to point out a few. We have a number of books. Since I'm all things knowledge graph, I, I'd like to point out we have an O'Reilly book called Knowledge Graphs, Data and Context for Responsive Businesses. But that's just one of the books that we have. We also have other books like O'Reilly Graph Algorithms. And a graph database for dummies book. Now, I also want to point out, for those of you who who want to get your hands dirty, we have a sandbox where you can play around and get to know graphs better. We have data that you can play around with. And it's a very interesting topic. I believe it's on movies. So it works for everybody. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Hugh, we also have a number of training sessions. And these are for free. They start from the basics and they get harder and harder and, you know, and, and they go all the way through and you do get a certificate after you're done. So you feel like you've achieved a lot. And I I know a number of people who have gone through these training sessions and really have become experts in Neo4j graph data platform. So these are just some of the resources.
0: uh, We'll have those in the podcast notes. This is great. Perfect. Great. Well, Maya, thank you for, for being on the podcast. I've learned a lot. Um, thanks for your time.
1: It was a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I mean i I really enjoyed it and I look forward to doing another one with you sometime soon.
0: It's a date. Thank you